It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, April 29th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. One million doses of COVID-19 vaccines have been administered in Sacramento County, and San Diego County is examining the viability of a 24-hour clinic that would help get shots into arms of people who work odd hours. The California Report has the details. Then, after a roundup of regional news and weather, we'll listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week and Bravehearts. This week, Betty Louise interviews Robert, a man who's been living in the woods for many years. We close tonight with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There's good news on the vaccination front in both Northern and Southern California. In Sacramento County, health officials say they've reached a new milestone, administering more than a million doses of the COVID-19 vaccines. And in San Diego County, more than a million residents there have also been fully vaccinated. San Diego County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher says some vaccination sites will be offering extended hours in the coming week to help people who haven't been able able to get their shots. He also says they're even looking at how feasible it is to have a vaccination site that operates 24 hours a day to help workers who have shifts during odd hours. And when it comes to vaccinations, health officials in the Bay Area are tracking cases of people who've contracted COVID-19 after they were fully vaccinated. KQED's Laura Clivens reports on what they know at this point. The state health department says nearly 1,400 of these Californians have tested positive. That's 0.01 percent of fully vaccinated people in the state. Health officials say these cases are fully expected because the vaccines don't protect people 100 percent. While the State Department of Public Health is not sharing details on how mild or serious these cases were, some Bay Area counties are. Sonoma County has 58 cases and said the majority resulted in mild to no symptoms with no hospitalizations or deaths. Contra Costa County has 140 cases and four people were hospitalized. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. Officials are investigating how schemes to rip off the state's unemployment insurance program, some of which was done by people in prison, may have cost California billions and billions of dollars. Lawmakers are trying to fix loopholes in the system, but some advocates for the incarcerated say those ideas could do more harm than good. With more, here's the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin. Around Thanksgiving last year, DAs from across the state came together to announce that over 30,000 fake unemployment claims had been filed in the names of people incarcerated in California. Both DAs and the state auditor have said that part of the reason it was so easy to dupe California's unemployment system is that, unlike at least 35 other states, we don't cross-match unemployment applications against our prison roles. And that's what Bakersfield Senator Shannon Grove is hoping to change with SB 39. So SB 39 requires CDCR and EDD, the Employment Development Department, to cross-reference or cross-match social security numbers for those that are incarcerated in the CDCR facilities. Katie Dixon is a community organizer with Legal Aid at Work and was formerly incarcerated. She's concerned about recent data that show holes in the state's arrest record keeping. We just don't believe that CDCR is capable of disseminating accurate information to anyone. 
let alone someone outside of, you know, their already complicated landscape. In 2019, for example, the California Department of Justice estimated that up to 60 percent of its arrest records were incomplete, meaning EDD could be flagging people based on inaccurate information. Grove says she doesn't want to keep benefits from people who need them, but the state is already facing a fraud bill in the tens of billions. That number is going to be paid back by small businesses that have been shut down over the last year and haven't been able to have revenue. While up to $2 billion out of the potentially $30 billion in total fraud could be linked to incarcerated people, it's unclear how many were active participants in the scams versus those whose identities were used by scammers. Folks feel like we're low-hanging fruit. It's easy to go after, you know, folks that has already been identified as what, a criminal or something like that. SB 39 made it through the Labor Committee earlier this week and is now heading to appropriations. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere. If you're like me, you see that triangular chasing arrows symbol on plastic products and think to yourself, hey, I can recycle this. But that's often not the case. Cap Radio's Scott Raw reports on an effort in the state legislature to tighten how the recycling symbol is used. At Ming's Recycling in Sacramento, a bulldozer scoops up aluminum cans and drops them on a conveyor belt. General Manager Jeff Donlevy says these cans will be crushed and recycled, but nearby are bales of plastic bottles from the curbside recycling system that are too dirty and contaminated. 20 to 40 percent of what ends up in somebody's curbside bin has a chance of being landfilled, and a lot of it has to do with mislabeling and contamination of material. The triangular chasing arrows is partly to blame. Most consumers don't realize the symbol often contains a number, one through seven, that allows recycling plants to identify its resin type. In reality, only numbers one, two, and sometimes five can be recycled through our existing system. When plastic products with other numbers are added to the mix, it's a burden for sorting facilities and they may contaminate the products that actually can be recycled. Senator Ben Allen, a Democrat from Santa Monica, has introduced a bill to restrict when manufacturers can use the chasing arrow symbol. We're basically trying to create some truth in advertising here. People simply don't have the basic information they need to assist them in determining whether an item ought to be put into the blue bin or into the trash bin. He says some companies exploit the logo as a marketing ploy to sway environmentally conscious consumers. But manufacturers are pushing back. Matt Seaholm is vice president of government affairs at the Plastics Industry Association. We're kind of struggling with these types of legislation that just simply says, you know what, we're giving up. We can't recycle it. Forget it. We're just done. California used to export much of its recyclable materials. Then a few years ago, other countries stopped accepting shipments. So now we're stuck with them. 
Seaholm says the real solution is figuring out how to recycle more materials in the U.S. and in California, not just the products labeled 1, 2, and 5. It's really the infrastructure and the end markets that are lacking. The bill passed unopposed in the Senate's Environmental Quality and Judiciary Committees and now awaits a vote in the Appropriations Committee. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. And that is the California Report for Thursday. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and talk tomorrow. Next week, Nevada County Public Health will launch a new vaccine clinic at the Sierra College campus in Grass Valley. The new clinic will operate Tuesday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. beginning May 4th with 210 appointments available each day. The new clinic will administer the Moderna vaccine, which is available for anyone 18 years and over. Vaccines will be administered in the Sierra College Gymnasium, Building N13, located at 250 Sierra College Drive. Parking in the Sierra College lot is free and no parking permit is needed. Appointments for the clinic are already available at myturn.ca.gov. The Nevada Irrigation District declared a drought emergency yesterday and is asking its customers to voluntarily conserve water. As part of that action, the district moves into its Stage 1 Drought Contingency Plan, which asks customers to conserve 10% of their normal water usage. The adopted resolution noted the action was necessary, quote, to assure continued supply of water for public health and safety, including domestic, irrigation, sanitation, environmental, and fire prevention and suppression uses during this drought, end quote. A key concern is storage, NID operations manager Chip Close says. Staff has rerun the water supply forecast and is concerned that carryover storage volumes at the end of irrigation season will fall to low levels. Besides taking action to reduce indoor water use, treated water and municipal water customers are being asked to limit outdoor irrigation to every other day. In regional weather... Grass Valley and Nevada City will be partly cloudy tonight, with a low around 55. Friday will be mostly sunny, with a high near 81. Dry and warm weather is likely to continue throughout the rest of the week. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy, with a low around 41. Above normal temperatures continue into Friday, which will be partly sunny, with a high near 71. Afternoon breezes are expected. And for Woodland and Sacramento... Tonight will be partly cloudy, with a low around 54, and Friday should be mostly sunny, with a high near 88. Now let's listen to Hospitality House's Needs of the Week, and then Bravehearts. This week is part one of an interview with a man called Robert, who's been living outdoors for many years. I'm Christina Apkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House, and the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE mask and gloves, blankets twin size, new pillows, bottled water, hand warmers, toilet paper, paper towels, men's t-shirts, men and women's tank tops, men and women's shorts, all sizes, women's underwear, sizes small, medium, and large, 
Women in men's loungewear, lightweight please. Women's casual summer dresses, women's tennis shoes, sizes 7 through 9. Men's tennis shoes, sizes 10 through 12. Ensure and boost drinks for guests undergoing chemo and radiation treatments. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place, located in the Brunswick Basin, past at DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. In this episode of Bravehearts, you're going to hear from Robert. He is a man who's been living in the woods in Nevada County for many years. He has a fascinating story. So why don't you just tell us the story of how you landed in this place as your home? Sure, and thank you. Uh, I landed here specifically most recently because I was staying up in uh, another area near a, a common uh, trail in Nevada City and someone came along and helped themselves to all my cold weather gear, including my friend's heater she generously donated for my use during the extreme cold, and the propane and all my cold weather gear. And so I abandoned the site, took it down, and uh, came down uh, to where I am now with the generous support of my friend who uh, is situated nearby. That, that's basically how that happened. Um, so how long have you been here? I've been here, this specific site, it was from December uh, and through the heavy rains. So you've been here for a few months, and right. in this record rainfall winter, how did you ever survive? Well, <laughs> I was very, very fortunate that a uh, insurance claim came through, and um, and that money has helped enormously. But really, more to the point is the generosity. I've never seen anything like the helpfulness of this community and the organizational skills of leadership in nonprofit organizations and so forth to help those who are for whatever reason, down on their luck or disenfranchised from the mainstream population. I really am fortunate to have come into this area. It's not my goal to remain home free, and in fact works are on the way now, even most recently, today, <laughs> towards that goal of, of having a residence, particularly in the difficult times of the winter just turned 56 in March and my body's letting me know that it's 
not going to put up with this year after year after year, at least not as gracefully. So I mostly have the community to thank, Nevada City and Grass Valley. Why don't you tell us what do you have in your your place? Describe it for us. What I have in the living situation, the sleeping area, is uh, very minimal now, uh, having been stolen from for the I lost count. I think it's the fourth time in four years that much of my belongings have either been stolen and or ransacked. Some people, for whatever reason, seem to take joy out of throwing people's stuff around. I had a library at one time in a yurt that I was staying in, and so I keep very little now because uh, the senselessness of some people <laughs> is really remarkable. And uh, the floor is lined with, with a tarp and the tarp under the tent for moisture prevention and I've also got sleeping bags down for matting for comfort and insulation and um, then two or one or two blankets and a sleeping bag on top that's about it on one of those days and there were many this winter where there were sometimes two and three days where it was pouring rain can you give us an idea of what your life was like wet <laughs> I, my life was like very wet, <laughs> but again, I, I've been able to call on the community in terms of thrift stores and finding clothing and boots and socks, and a lot of that was given to me too, unsolicited. I don't go around asking very much. People just pop up at the right time with the right gear, and or I'll go and buy things at thrift stores that I need for clothing for. I've had a few chiropractic treatments as a result of the amount of exercise I get out living outdoors. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. After I got my first vaccine shot, I was unexpectedly relieved. I always find it interesting how there are things we don't know about ourselves until our bodies react. I didn't feel tense about COVID at all, I thought. Sad, irritated, a little worried but mostly coping well, working on Zoom and the phone with students and clients, making sure I got enough outdoor contact with a small circle of friends. And then, driving home from the CVS drugstore in Marysville after that inoculation, every muscle in my body loosened. It was like being high if you can remember that far back into your misspent youth. Long ago, when I drank champagne, I used to say that after the third glass, I felt like a well-cooked chicken, the meat just about to fall off my bones. We should have known then I would become a poet, that Fortune 1000 lending was not my true calling. It's definitely a great feeling, being awash in whatever those first chemicals are that say you're safe. When I heard my mother's cancer diagnosis, I cried for about six weeks on and off, in her presence and out of it. This was a completely physical reaction. I wanted to stop, especially in public, but there was no way. 
I carried a dish towel around with me because a handkerchief would just have stayed wet with tears. And then one day, I stopped. She lived almost a year longer, getting thinner and paler, losing her hair and eventually her marbles because of the morphine. But I was rarely even all that sad. My body had decided it was done crying, which my mother thought was pretty funny. She compared it to the way people clap when someone wins an Oscar, but if they're not that important and sitting farther from the stage, the clapping peters out before they get to the microphone. We laughed about it. It was an oddly golden time. I don't know if humans hold joy in our cells unacknowledged, the same way we can hold suffering. My experience of joy is like being inside a soap bubble that gleams for a moment and then pops, releasing amazement and happiness into the air around me. The process isn't a surprise. There are millions of theories about physical reactions, but luckily I won't tell you any of them. If you're a research hound, you can look up Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, for a place to start. I've never been a research hound. I'm a what-does-it-feel-like-from-within hound. I'm still inexpert at sorting this out, and sometimes too afraid to look for a while. But I focus on physical experience as a way to move through the world. My mind comes with me, of course, but it has to ride shotgun. Today I'm sitting outdoors at my favorite cafe, no one else here exhaling their hazardous breath at the moment. Feeling relieved at vaccination hasn't made me drop my guard much. I still drink coffee in the open air and avoid crowds entirely. The news photos of cremation pyres burning in India are too horrible a warning. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's it for another Thursday. You can hear this and previous newscasts on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR is supported by Sierra Timberline since 1978, offering a wide selection of contemporary to traditional American-made fabric and leather interior furniture for the Foothills lifestyle. Open Monday through Saturday, Idaho Maryland Road, Grass Valley. Online store at sierratimberline.com. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. Milkmancompany.com. Coming up next, Making Contact. This week covers the fight to end corporate ownership of fresh water sources for profit. Thanks for listening. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a good evening.